we've been preaching through the book of Acts. And uh, in this part of our preaching through the book of Acts, we've been watching as the gospel travels around um, the Roman Empire, and particularly around the Mediterranean. And we've seen how it's uh, gone to different cities and what happens when the gospel comes to those places. And last week, uh, Mikey Puckett preached on um, Paul coming to the city of Athens, uh, coming to Greece for the first time, and the gospel being preached there. And this morning, we're going to see that Paul, uh, after being in Athens, travels 37 miles west to the city of Corinth. And that's what we're going to read about in Acts chapter 18. So um, if you're uh, willing and able, would you stand? And if you have a Bible, you can find Acts chapter 18. Or you can follow along uh, in your uh, in your worship order there. Acts chapter 18, I'm going to read the first 18 uh, verses. So this is God's word, which he chose for you to hear this morning. Acts chapter 18, starting at verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. This is God's word for you. You may be seated, please. Have you 
ever been scared to speak to someone about Jesus? Have you ever felt afraid to share your faith? Have you ever worried that if people knew you were a Christian, they might treat you differently? I have. I have. And I have. On countless occasions, I've felt fear. I've let fear paralyze me and keep me quiet. Sometimes when we think of um, the Apostle Paul, we picture him as this um, superhero Christian, right? Like, uh, like Leonidas, the leader of the Spartans, uh, who defended Greece from the Persians. Uh, the story is told one time that um, they were uh, battling thousands of invaders, and uh, one of uh, Leonidas's men came to him and said, uh, General, when the, when the Persians shoot their arrows at us, there are so many of them that they darken the sky. To which Leonidas replied, then we will fight in the shade. <laughs> like, like, yes, that's, that's what Paul was like, and that's what we should be like as Jesus' representatives in the world, right? Uh, undaunted, courageous, fearless, fighting in the shade. But if we're honest, most of the time we're not like Leonidas, we're more like Linus from the Peanuts, right? You remember gripping so tightly onto our security blanket. What is the good news from God's Word that I have for you this morning? It is this, that the Apostle Paul was at times afraid and timid and weak. But he experienced something that we too can experience. That is that Jesus comes to us in our fears. Jesus comes to us in our weakness. And he encourages us. Jesus can use us not despite our weakness, but actually through our weakness. How do I know this? Well, here's, here's how it works. So Paul would go around um, the Mediterranean starting churches. And whenever he would leave a city where he had just started a church, he'd go to another city, and very often he would turn around and write a letter back to that church that he had just started. And those, many of those are the letters that we have in the New Testament. So Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and Thessalonians, all of these are letters to churches, right? And Corinthians. And it's in First. Corinthians chapter 2 that Paul tells the Corinthians what he was feeling when he first came to their city. Um, it's on the bottom of your sermon outline. Look at, look at what he wrote. He said, and I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I mean, that start, it sounds like, when, I think when we hear that verse, I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. sounds like he's like Leonidas, right? Like, oh, I'm like being brave, right? But look, look at what he says next. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. 
See, when Paul first came to Corinth, he felt weak, he was afraid, and he was trembling. Why? Well, maybe it's because of what he experienced in previous cities before Corinth. Or maybe it was because of the fact that Corinth was a major city, one of the largest in the world at the time. Um, Historians think there could have been up to 700,000 people in Corinth. Um, Corinth was a prosperous city. It sat between two seaports, one to the east and one to the west, and so lots of commerce came through, uh, trade came through that place. Corinth held the Isthmian Games, uh, not the Olympics, but the year before and after the Olympics, they held the Isthmian Games when people would flock to their city. And Corinth was also a highly immoral city, a place known for its sexual promiscuity. Corinth was filled with influential, proud, confident, tough, hard, sophisticated, secular people. So in a world, in, in a word, Corinth was intimidating. How could Paul, who most ancient historians say was short, feeble, and unattractive, and possibly had a speech impediment, one Jewish Christian in a huge pagan city, how could he accomplish anything for God? Paul said this, I've really only got one thing going for me, Jesus, and I'm going to have to lean into him with all I've got. And Jesus meets Paul in his weakness and his fear and his trembling. We read it in verse 9 there. It says, The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. That was longer than Paul had stayed in any other city he had been to up to this point. Obviously, Jesus' words had a profound impact on Paul. They gave him great confidence in the face of his fears. And they can do the same thing for us. You see, we can be afraid to be a witness for Jesus, can't we? At school, at work, at the gym, with friends, with family. It feels scarier to talk about God because our culture is more secular than it used to be. Gallup has been uh, polling Americans, and since 1944, they've been asking a question. They've been asking, do you believe in God? And uh, in the 1950s and the 1960s, uh, 98%, every time they asked, 98% of Americans said, I believe in God. Not I'm a Christian, but I believe in God. That held steady all the way uh, until um, 19 uh, or until 2011. It went from 98 percent to 92 percent. In 2013, it was 87 percent. This year, they polled Americans. In 2022, 81 percent of Americans say that they believe in God. Now, that's still a large majority, right? But you can see the decline. And we feel it in our culture that it feels scarier um, to talk about God. If we are prone to fear and timidity, how much more the Apostle Paul coming to the ancient city of Corinth. 
But Jesus says, do not be afraid to speak. Don't keep silent. Later in his letter to the Romans, Paul will write, you have to speak. Because how will they believe unless someone speaks? How will they believe unless they hear the gospel told to them? Jesus' people must speak. Ray likes to tell a story in the pastor's class uh, about how one time there was a, a, a Billy Graham revival um, in, uh, in a city, I think uh, Louisville, and uh, so thousands of people were going to this revival every night, and uh, so uh, the, the next day, a group of uh, workers were gathered around in the, the workroom, and, uh, and one of the guys there said, um, I, went to the, I went to the revival last night, and I became a Christian. And one of, one of his uh, fellow co-workers looked at him and said, no way, I have been praying for you for 10 years to become a Christian. To which he responded, you're a Christian? <laughs> and not like because his life was so bad that he was surprised, but he said, I've been watching you for 10 years. You live the most exemplary, upstanding life. And I thought to myself, if, if Joe can be such a good guy and have such a great life and he's not a Christian, then why do I have to be one? You see, we have to speak. Um, it's what we've been called to do as Jesus' followers, to share the gospel, to speak to others about him. But how do we get over the fear? Jesus gave Paul, and he gives us three reasons not to be afraid to speak. You see them there in your bulletin. First, Jesus says, do not be afraid to speak because I am with you. Do not be afraid to speak because I am with you. It's interesting, in the Bible, the most often quoted command is, do not be afraid. And the most often given reason for the most often given command is, I'm with you. Don't be afraid because I'm with you. We see it over and over again in the Old Testament. It's two places in Deuteronomy 31. Moses is speaking to Joshua and he says, be strong and courageous. Do not fear. It is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Psalm 23, right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Paul wasn't there, but I'm sure he had heard what Jesus had told his disciples after he rose from the dead. Jesus uh, told them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Do not be afraid to speak, because I am with you. But the the question we should ask is, how is Jesus with us? Because he left the disciples there and ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. How is Jesus with us? 
And one answer is he's with us through the Holy Spirit. He told his disciples, he said, when you're brought before powerful, influential people, don't worry about what you will speak or what you will say, because what you will say will be given to you in that moment by the Spirit. In every interaction, in every conversation, in every moment of every day, Jesus is with you through the Holy Spirit. St. Patrick um, was a missionary to the uh, people of Ireland, and um, it was not an easy mission. He often feared for his life, um, but he took the gospel to them, and in his part of his uh, every morning prayer, he would pray this, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ in the eyes of every man that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. Do not be afraid, because I'm with you. Do not be afraid to speak. Jesus is with us through the Holy Spirit, but what we also see, particularly in Acts 18, that's noteworthy, is that Jesus is with us through other believers. That that's how Jesus comes to us, is through other believers. Remember how Paul, a single unmarried man, felt walking into Corinth. This massive, intimidating city. And look again at what happens. It says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. We can read this and read over it very quickly and not think about the fact that among hundreds of thousands of people in this city, Paul just happened to find another, uh, two other Jewish Christians who just happened to have recently come there from Rome, who just happened to have the same trade as him. Of course, none of this just happened. Aquila and Priscilla were not there because of Claudius's command. They were there because God orchestrated that they be there to encourage Paul. Aquila and Priscilla became co-laborers for the gospel with Paul. Later, Paul would write in Romans that they risked their necks for his life. Paul was fearful, he was discouraged, and Jesus sent him Aquila and Priscilla. And not only that, but Silas and Timothy too. Jesus gave Paul a spiritual family. You see, Jesus is with us. He encourages us. He strengthens us through other believers. This last weekend, I was with um, four guy friends who I've known for over 25 years. We grew up in the same church together. We went to the same seminary together. We've been in each other's weddings. Um, we're all in uh, ministry we Zoom every couple of months, 
and then one weekend a year for 48 hours, we come together somewhere in the country and face-to-face, um, we laugh together, we cry together, um, we celebrate together, we mourn together, um, we encourage one another. And I can tell you that without those guys in my life, I would not be standing here. Because when I am with them, do you know what I experience? I experience Jesus. And I come back filled, uh, my tank filled, right, ready to speak for him. Do not be afraid to speak, because I'm with you. If you're not pursuing deep relationships with other believers, you're not just missing out on community, you're missing out on Jesus. You You're missing out on the encouragement that you need in order to face the challenges of living for Christ in this life. Individually, we're just disciples, but together we're the church. It takes a church. It takes a family. John Wesley was a a theologian and an evangelist in the 1700s. Uh, He's one of the founders of what we call today Methodism, the Methodist church. And uh, Wesley, on his deathbed, the very last words he spoke, he said, the best of all is, God is with us. It's the best thing of all. He's with us. Through the Holy Spirit and through other people, he's with us. So don't be afraid to speak. Second, Jesus said, do not be afraid to speak because no one will attack you to harm you. Do not be afraid to speak because no one will attack you to harm you. This, uh, this promise of protection was given to the Apostle Paul, and it had a specific fulfillment. Uh, we saw it in the passage uh, with this proconsul named Gallio. And, uh, and just a sidebar, uh, Gallio, what do we know about Gallio? Well, uh, in 1905, archaeologists discovered this... Um, I think about six or nine fragments of a letter uh, in the city of Delphi that was written by the emperor Claudius, who's mentioned in this passage. It's written by Claudius, he, and he knows it's the year 52 AD, and he mentions Gallio, the proconsul. And so because of that uh, find, we're able to date with accuracy um, Paul's journeys. We know from history that Gallio was only proconsul for one year. And so um, uh, the, the dates which we come up with actually make sense of the chronology laid out in the book of Acts. Um, I tell you this to say that, that the Bible is not telling stories. The Bible is telling his stories. The Bible is real people, real events, in real time. Because Christianity is not just a theory or, or a religious um, you know, idea. Christianity is about something that happened, about news, about what God has done and the ongoing implications for our world. So in Acts 18, what, what did Gallio do? It says that the Jews uh, made a united attack and they brought Paul before the proconsul and uh, tried to get the proconsul to um, act. And, uh, and what does he do? He essentially dismisses their claim 
as a religious squabble. It says if this was about law and order and, and things like that, but, but really this is just between you guys. Uh, I, I'm not going to be a judge of this. And by doing that, Gallio's decision, decision essentially gave the Apostle Paul um, government protection to continue evangelizing. And he did. So we see that Jesus providentially fulfilled his promise to protect Paul through the human agency of Gallio. Jesus fulfilled his promise through Gallio. God used Pharaoh to set his people free from Egypt. He used Caesar Augustus to ensure that the Messiah was born in Bethlehem. He used Claudius to send Priscilla and Aquila to Corinth. And he uses Gallio here to keep his promise to Paul. Do not be afraid to speak because no one will attack you to harm you. But the question is, what about us? Can, can we claim this promise of Jesus for ourselves? Um, you know, you think about what about Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and the, the missionaries uh, who took the gospel to the indigenous people of Ecuador and they were murdered. Did God fail to protect them? Here's, here's how I think that we should understand this. Jesus, Jesus never promises his followers a life free of persecution or suffering. That's never promised to us. Sometimes he gives us relief. Sometimes he acts to spare us. But ultimately, Jesus does protect us from harm, from real harm. By his sacrifice on the cross and his victory over the grave, Jesus has taken away the threat of future judgment and the fear of death so that ultimately there is nothing that can really harm you. Psalm 18, 118 verse 6 says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What can man do to me? Really, in the, in the, in the worst possible uh, scenario, what could happen to me? The worst thing that could ever happen to me is that I might be dispatched from this life to be sent to be with Jesus for eternity forever. The worst thing that could ever happen to me. You see, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Do not be afraid to speak, because I will protect you, Jesus said. My kids have been into um, America's Got Talent, and uh, so we watch uh, that show, and, and if you know how that works, you know, these people come, and, and they have their different talents, and you have the judges, and uh, um, so you come, and you do it, and if you get, you know, three yeses from the judges, then you get to, to move through to the next round, and, um, and then there's this golden buzzer, and if you're exceptional, right, if you have this incredible talent, and they really love it, then um, someone can hit the golden buzzer, and you go straight to the live shows. So, um, so we're watching America's Got Talent, and in the, in the show, there's a host. Uh, his name is Terry Crews, and uh, Terry Crews uh, played football in the NFL. Uh, he's an actor. He's this big, strong, good-looking man, and, uh, and, and Terry Crews um, is also a Christian, and so... Uh, we're watching, and uh, one of this contestant comes on. His name is Avery Dixon, and, uh, and, and he has a saxophone, 
right? So he's going to play the saxophone. And uh, he begins to tell the judges his story. He tells them about how when he was a little boy, um, he was severely bullied because he was born prematurely at, one, at uh, you know, um, I think he was uh, one um, month premature or something like that. And, uh, and so because of that, he had um, some deformities in his head. Uh, his vocal cords were not uh, fully, um, do not fully close. And uh, so his voice sounded funny. And kids just uh, bullied him and bullied him. And um, to the point where he said he wanted to commit suicide. And it was at that point that he picked up a saxophone. He began to learn how to play. And uh, so he, he's, it's his turn, right? And he, he does his, uh, his saxophone piece. And all 4,000 people in the theater are on their feet. I mean, it's just amazing. And, and when he's done, everyone's cheering, and the judges are, are sharing their comments. And, um, and the, the judges go ready to get to start to vote. And Terry Crews comes from the side and, and says, no voting, no voting, we're not voting. He comes down to the table and stands there and he, he looks, looks at him and he says, Avery Dixon, he says, you've been bullied your whole life. Said, but I want you to tell every bully that you have a big brother named Terry Crews. And, and he, <laughs> he says, and I'm here and I've got your back. And all of those other bullies are going to have to watch you succeed. And he hits the golden buzzer, and, you know, everybody's crying. And it's, it's beautiful, right? Because you have a big brother named Jesus. And he said, I'm going to protect you. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to speak. Third, Jesus told Paul, and he tells us, do not be afraid to speak because I have many in this city who are my people. Because I have many in this city who are my people. That's kind, that's kind of, of uh, how do we really make of that? It's kind of strange. What does that mean when he says, I have many in this city who are my people? How, how could Jesus have many in Corinth who were his people if they had not yet been converted? In, in John 10, Jesus said, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. You see, in every country, in every city, in every town, and in every village, Jesus has his people. He has his sheep. Those whom he has sovereignly chosen, those whom he has predestined to salvation, but they've not yet heard the gospel and believed. They've not yet come to saving faith. You see, if God did not elect some to salvation, then our efforts at speaking would be meaningless. But Jesus says, don't be afraid to speak. Don't keep silent because there are people that I have chosen and your speaking will be the means by which they come to faith. It's interesting to note what, what Paul did after Jesus tells him this, I have many people uh, who are mine in this city. What does Paul say? He says, great, awesome, God. I'm so, you've got your people. You've got it. I'm going to go head to the beach. 
That's not what he says. It, it actually says he stayed there for another year and six months teaching the word of God. Right? That he, he got to work. He witnessed. He evangelized. Because predestination or election or whatever you want to call it, God sovereignly choosing those who will be his people is the greatest motivation for evangelism. So do not be afraid. Do not be silent. Go on speaking because there are people who belong to Jesus here in Citrus County who don't know it yet. And you might just be the instrument that God uses to gather his sheep in. The reality is we don't know who are the elect, right? You don't, we don't walk around and see like little E's on people's foreheads. So what does that mean? It means that God wants us to speak to whoever will listen. We speak to anyone and everyone, rich, poor, black, white, college-educated, high school dropouts, young and old, tattooed and straight-laced. Jesus wants us to share the good news of the gospel with anyone and everyone, and that can be scary. That can put you in a situation that might make you feel timid. Do not be afraid, because I have many in this city who are my people. They will listen to my voice, and I will gather them in. One of those sheep in Corinth was a man named Sosthenes. Do you remember in the passage, um, at the end there, it says that when Gallio refused to judge matters between Jews and Paul, it says that in their frustration, they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. Well, a couple of years later, when Paul wrote his letter back to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians, he began his letter with this, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. Sosthenes was one of the sheep. He was one that, that Jesus brought into his fold. You never know how he's going to bring people to faith, so don't be afraid to speak. Look again at what Paul wrote to the Corinthians at the bottom of your outline. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I was reading... Um, this uh, the other week, uh, this pastor wrote this. He said, uh, I've learned a lot about being a pastor from Esau, our family's hairy sheepdog. The American Kennel Club calls him a bearded collie, but that's misleading since he looks nothing like Lassie. He's actually a Scottish version of the old English sheepdog, which I believe makes him a Presbyterian. <laughs> he says... I have always been uneasy with thinking of myself 
as the shepherd of our congregation. That role belongs to Jesus Christ. It's far more helpful to think of myself as a sheepdog that nudges sheep toward the only savior of the flock. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He's the great shepherd of the sheep. It's all about him. From one fearful, weak person to another, what I hope I give to you this morning is not a great sermon. What I give you this morning is a great Savior. Jesus is with you. Jesus will protect you. And Jesus will use you to gather in his people. So do not be afraid to speak about him. Let me pray. Why don't you take a moment to tell Jesus thank you for the person who told you first about Jesus. Tell Jesus thank you that he used whoever it was to tell you about your Savior. And then confess to him your fears. Confess to him your weakness. Ask him to give you gospel courage. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence among us. Thank you for your protection of us. Thank you that you predestine your people to believe. Open our mouths, Lord, so that we might speak about how great you are to anyone who will listen. And it's in your precious name we pray, Jesus. Amen.